this morning's message is a continuation of what I've been preaching on. It's really the call of God to do the impossible. Right? Now, God, if you look at the Bible, uh, you'll see that whatever God does, it's impossible for man to do. Whether it's making uh, a leaf or the stars or the galaxies, man can't do it. But whenever God moves in society, he doesn't move in the possible way. He moves in the impossible way. And when you look at the life of Jesus, you'll see all his works were impossible for man to do. Every single walking on water, changing wine, or changing water into wine, everything was, you know, man born blind, heal him. Everything that he did was impossible. So we are actually children of the impossible. We are called to live a life of the impossible. And so when we look into the Bible, the Bible is a witness of the impossible, and we are called to embrace it. Right? So I got four points. The Bible is God's word, yes. But it's also the testimony of how God deals with humanity. Right? It's also a testimony of how God deals with humanity. Now, what I'm going to preach in this particular aspect, I'm going to give you a, a preview of what I'm going to say so that you can connect the dots. So, what God did in the past, He can do today, or He will do today, because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know? So, He is over here, and He, he wants to do impossible things. Right? Okay. Uh, anything that is impossible interests him. So, well, I, 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 want, I want to do something over there. And you know why he does all these things? Is so that you give him the glory and you come to know the God of the impossible yourself. You come to know him. And so we're going to look into that part. The second point is, now all that God does is through the beauty of the cross. I mean, everything is through the cross. And we're going to look into that a little bit so that when we receive communion, it's a covenant of God. We are remembering the cross. So I, I want you to be attentive when we break bread because the impossible is flowing. The, every blessing is flowing. The impossible is flowing into us. It's, it's healing, it's deliverance, but more than that, the impossible life is flowing in us because Jesus is interested in the impossible. Everything that is impossible, he's, he, he, he gets his attention, right? So the third point is, okay, that's true, but how do I appropriate it? So we look, we're going to look into that, right? How do I appropriate it? How, how, how do I receive it? So we're looking at that third point. And the fourth point is, you know, it's the summary of what I'm saying. Where the rubber hits the road, how do I put it into action? Right? So four points, okay? So don't lose the trend of thought. We'll start. The Bible is the Word of God and the testimony of God's dealing with humanity. The first point. So the Bible is 
the written word of God, and everything in the Bible speaks of Jesus, right from beginning to the end. It's about Jesus. All right? It's about him. You know, there was this party that a mother did for a, for a daughter, seven or eight years old daughter. And then she called all the daughter's friends. And you know, in, in the party, the star of the party is who? The birthday girl. You understand? Huh? That's the star of the party. And she gets all the presents and she sits like a queen and she's got a nice smile on her face. But there was this young a friend, you know, young Peter or whatever his name was. And, and he was so upset in the party. So upset. Very sorely. Because he saw all, all, everything was centered around the birthday girl. And, and, and he wanted the attention. And he wanted some of the big presents. And, you know, and he was behaving badly. He was, all right. I don't know what to say, but in Hindi, they say nakra. You know, he was doing nakra. In English, it is, you can translate it. He was, okay, he was a tantrum or something of like that. Not, not a big tantrum, but he was. Anyway, so one of the ladies who was watching, she came to young Peter and knelt down before him because he's small and says, Peter, this is not your party. It's not your party. And, and you know, when you read the Bible, it's not your party. It's about him. You understand? You got the point? It's him. So if you have got nakra, if you are doing a little bit of soliness, remember, it's not your party. It's who? It's him. Right? The Bible is about him. You understand? You get that point. Otherwise, you know, we somehow think that we are the center of attention. You know, and if we don't get things, we get upset. You understand? It's not about us. It's about him. So let us get our vision in order. All right. So let us say, let us look at Hebrews 13, verse 7 and 8. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Two things. The way of life, how they lived and imitate their faith. Often we try to imitate their methods and expect returns. No. Imitate their way of life and imitate their faith. Uh, that is the place where we need to, to, to look at. All right? So Jesus, and then he says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now look at these two verses, okay? Remember your leaders? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what's the connection between these two? What he's trying to say is, what Jesus did with them, he'll do it for us, because he's the same. He's the same. So when you're reading the Bible, those things which are there in the Bible is for you and for me. Right? He's the same. He doesn't change. Right? So, <coughs> 2 Timothy 2.13. <coughs> If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown or deny himself. He is faithful. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If we are faithless, if we fall down, if we have no faith, we can get up, because he is the same. 
He cannot change himself. He is faithful. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what he did for those leaders, those biblical leaders, he wants to do it for us. All right? All right. Good. Now, for example, Jesus is Lord. That is given in, in uh, Philippians 2.11. Now, that is declared. Jesus is Lord. It's declared. The moment you receive that word, boom, you're born again. You're born again. It's miraculous. You know, you can read a thousand books, you won't be born again. You can read a thousand commentaries, you won't be born again. You can go for a thousand sermons, you won't be born again. You got to take that word and believe it. And then, boom, you are born again. Uh, the converse. If a person is not born again, he doesn't know what you're talking about. He might be a professor. He might be with a lot of degrees. But he does not know what you're talking about. It's not by human effort that you're born again. It's by faith in God's word. It is impossible. You're looking into the realm of the impossible. It's impossible for a person to be born again by his own effort. It's entirely by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is true for salvation is also true for every aspect of the Bible. All right? So when you're reading the Bible, say, God, I want to see something so that I am transformed by faith. Okay? All right. Okay. Yeah. So what, now listen, so when you're reading the Bible, so what God did for Abraham and Sarah, when it was impossible for them to get a child, he made a creative miracle for them to get a child. When they were old, and so even when you and I get old, and I'm not yet old, but even the, you see, even as we get old, remember, God can make use of us to do the impossible things. All right? So don't stop. Don't stop looking for things where God can use you and I. Don't give up. Don't sit back. Say, God, I want to be used. And so that's something which, which we will be fruitful even in our old age. That's the promise of God. Now look into Psalm 92, verse 14 and 15. All right? There we are. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. You know, as you get older, you have gone through a lot of problems. And then you see God touching each and every problem and solving them. So as you get older, you proclaim, hey, I tell you one thing, the Lord is good. There is no wickedness in him. He's a good God. You know, I can say it because I've gone through huge problems, huge problems. But every problem was an opportunity for me to know God better. All right? So therefore, I can stand over here and I can sing those wonderful hymns with 
full, full agreement that he is good and there is no wickedness in him. I can sing it. I can shout it. I can tell everybody about it. And you know what? If you're going through problems, and this is a word I feel that was there as Victor, uh, John Victor was singing. There are many of you going through problems. And God wants to say, listen, I've allowed these problems in your life. I've allowed it because I want you to know me better that I am a deliverer. All right? I want you to know me. If you had no problems, you would never know me that way. Right? You would never know. You see, today, I've gone through huge problems I have gone through. But now I know that he is a deliverer. I have confidence in him. So when the next problem comes, I laugh. I say, praise God, you're going to show me something new. You're going to show me something more. Abraham and Sarah is for our lives. All right? Let's take another one. Psalm 71, verse 18. Even when I'm old and great, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. You're going through problems? I'll tell you what, you're going to be a proclaimer of God's goodness. He will say, the Lord is good. I know it, I've experienced his goodness. When I sing, I sing with conviction. All right? When I witness, I witness with conviction because I have tasted that the Lord is good. Right. So let's take a next guy. God will make a way when there is no way. He did it for Moses. He will do it for you and for me. You're trapped, and I was trapped. I was in a room when there was no windows. That's what I felt. There was no windows and no doors. I was like in a prison. And I was there for five years. And God made a way. And I can say that he made a way. And he, what he did for Moses, he will do it for you. You know, God is a God of the breakthroughs. He wants to have a breakthrough in your life, in your finances. Okay, in your finances. He wants to make a breakthrough in your finances. He wants to make a breakthrough in your health. He wants to make a breakthrough in your ministry. Look for breakthroughs and serve the Lord. Nothing is impossible for him. He's the God of the breakthroughs. So we can pray for breakthroughs in our lives. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. All right? God will bring down the thick walls of the enemy as you praise him like Joshua did. Right? Don't follow his methods. To go around and around your problems, you know, or blow trumpet. That's the method. Faith is to praise God. You having strongholds in your life, some addiction, some things which you can't get rid of, praise the Lord. Say, God, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to praise you, and you're going to bring it down. My confidence, my dear friends, is in Him. I've seen strongholds broken down, and He will break yours and mine as He did for Joshua impenetrable strongholds. God broke them down. For him, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. Right? God will bring revival in the church as he did for Elijah. He brought, Elijah, he brought, you know, the 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. He put the sacrifice of the Lord and says, Lord, send fire from heaven. And boom, fire came. God is interested in his church. He wants to bring revival in the church. I'm confident of it. I believe it. It's in his plans. Right? 
And so I pray for revival. I say, God, you're going to bring revival in Bangalore City. You're going to bring revival in India because that's your heart. That's your heart, right? God will slay the Goliaths in your life as he did for David. Therefore, pray that God will slay the big obstacles in your life. Now, listen, you, are, you understood where I'm getting at. John Victor talked about the lion's den. Yes, God will break through that as well. Very good. I forgot about that. When you realize God's plan and God's heart in the Bible, God's plan and God's heart for humanity in the Bible, and you must embrace it with your heart, not with your mind. You see, don't try to understand it because, you know, your mind is limited, and you try to understand everything, you are moving towards unbelief because your mind can't comprehend the big things of God. You can't comprehend it. But you can embrace it. You can wrap your heart around God's plan in the, in the Bible. You can embrace it by your heart, by faith. Right? How do you embrace? How do you embrace? God's plan with your heart by saying, this is what you said, God, and I'm going to rest in this. And when you are disturbed and when you lose your peace, you know, when you lose your peace, it's a good indication you have lost your rest in God. So go back to that place where you lost your peace and find your peace again. You know, when you can always check your heart when you are, you know, when you are there is unrest inside. And, and then you, you tend to manipulate to get your way. It won't work. You're looking at human effort. But go back and say, God, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to brace. I don't know how. I don't know how, Lord, but I am going to trust you. I'm going to trust you and I'm going to embrace your plan. And it might take some time, but I'm going to see victory because you're the God of the impossible. And by the way, I have done all these things. I've seen the God of the impossible work in my life. All right? Okay. Number two. Okay. The Bible describes what Christ has done for us on the cross. Ah, this is great. I always get challenged by this. And I always look at Jesus' most beautiful face. I don't. Because when Jesus says, it is finished. You know, let me tell you something else. You know, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was struggling, struggling to give his life. Why? I mean, he knew he had to give his life. He knew it. But what was the struggle about? The struggle was that this pure life, that's what I think, this pure life had to take the filth of humanity on him. Of every, every filth in centuries, all that filth, he had to take it on him. This pure life had to take it on him. And when I think about it, you know, you've seen those guys who go down into those gutters and go inside and hard. When they come out, you don't want to smell them. But he went into the worst gutters 
for yours. Can you imagine all the filth? I don't want to talk about the filth because you know what filth is. And I know that you and I have dealt with filth in our lives. And for that, pure life, to take all that filth upon him and die on the cross was amazing. And when he rose again, when he died on the cross, he says, it is finished. It is finished. And when he rose again, you know what he did? He released blessings. Every blessing, he released it. You know, he is the almighty son of God, the almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe in the triune God. This son of God became man, 100% man, and was continuing to be 100% God. And he died on the cross and he rose. This 100% man, 100% God rose from the dead and he's there at the right hand of the Father and he released every blessing because he is the almighty God. He went through almighty suffering and he released almighty blessings for you and for me. Almighty blessings. And so for heaven's sake, when you receive communion, you know what, what I would have loved to say is for Christ's sake, when you receive communion, understand what he did for us. But I don't want to say this word, Christ's sake, because, you know, sometimes people in the world use it as a profanity. But for heaven's sake, when you receive communion, it's such a beautiful covenant. What a beautiful, because every blessing, every blessing from here to eternity you know, when you go to heaven, you're still going to receive the blessing because of Jesus, because of him. You're still, you and I are still going to receive that blessing. So when the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3, 21, he says, all things are yours. What does he mean? All things are yours. In 1 Corinthians 3.21, all things are yours. Of course, all things are yours because every blessing is yours and mine. All things are yours. So when God calls you for the impossible life in point number one, he says, I'm going to give you everything to live that impossible life. All things are yours. But remember, with increased blessings come increased responsibilities. Right? With increased blessings come increased responsibilities. So God will not take us beyond what we are prepared to obey. What we are prepared to use. The more you use, the more he gives you. The less you use what you have, he'll take it from you and give it to the guy who is using it. That's the Bible principle. So all blessings are yours. That's what the Bible says. Everything is yours, but use it. Because if you don't use it and twiddle your toes, you're going to lose it. But use it. So therefore, I, for heaven's sake, please join the ministry in Adonai. Do something. See, God, because all things are yours. The more you use it, the more you are blessed. Because says, God says, all things are yours. All things are yours. And you see, if he gives you an assignment, now he has given some of the young pastors over here assignments. He says, look, 
I can't give you an assignment without giving your blessings. I will give you the equipment to complete your assignment. So if you are serving in the church, which I really, really tell, tell everybody, serve the church, right? Because when you're serving the church, the blessings come. And whatever assignment you get, you have the blessings to complete that assignment. But if you complete your assignment, don't think you can go to sleep. He gives you more assignments and more assignments and more assignments because God wants you to be fruitful. All right? So he gets the glory. You understand? He gets the glory. So we come to the third point. I want time. The Bible describes three things. Our calling, our character, and capacity to function. Now, the first thing I said, God calls us for the impossible. Second thing, he says, I equip you for the impossible. The third point is, how do I appropriate the impossible? Right? So, of course, it's by faith. It's by faith, but also something else. Listen carefully. You know, God wants you to have an encounter with him. So we have over here this encounter retreat that is perfectly biblical. God wants you, each and every one of us, to have an encounter with him. He wants to bang you, bang you with the magnificence of God. You know, when he has an encounter, when you have an encounter with Jesus, your spectacles change. If you don't have spectacles, your eyeballs change. But the thing is, you have a new perspective in life. You see things differently. You understand? Paul, I mean, if you remember, he was a nutcase, wasn't he? Okay? He's Saul, Saul. His name was Saul that day. He was a nutcase. He was after it. But he was thinking he was serving God. He was after Christians everywhere. Was after Christians. God, he had an encounter with Jesus. The first thing that happened, he lost his sight. And after three days, he got new spectacles. He saw things differently. He became a lover of Christians. He became a lover of the gospel. And God wants to give us new spectacles when you have an encounter with him. Peter, he was a friend of Jesus. Jesus says, Peter, in Luke chapter 5, he says, come on, Peter, go out. He says, Lord, we have, we have whole night we have worked, we caught nothing. He says, go out. And then he went out and he caught a lot of fish. He had an encounter. What did he say? The first thing he says, Lord, depart from me. I am a sinner. He saw things differently. And then after you have an encounter, Three things change. Your calling changes. Your character changes. And your capacity to function changes. Jesus told Peter, Peter, you were a fisherman. Now you're going to be a fisher of men. Calling changed. You understand? Paul, you were a persecutor. Today, you are going to give the gospel to the Gentiles. I'm going to send you. Calling changed. He changes our calling. 
And then he starts working on a character. You know, he gives us, to change our character, he gives us, you know, there are many, many, many blessings. But as far as our character is concerned, there are two blessings. One, I mean, two amazing blessings, huh? amazing blessings. He puts the Holy Spirit inside us. That's amazing. There's God inside us. Amazing. I mean, it's amazing. God inside us. <laughs> it's amazing. Right? God himself is residing inside us. Oh, man, it's amazing. And the second thing, and the primary object of the Holy Spirit is to make you like Jesus. So he works with a screwdriver inside your heart. Right? And every time, he tightens the screw inside. When you do something wrong, You'll get it. You understand? You can't be a Christian without the screwdriver of the Holy Spirit. You understand what I'm talking about. Right? And then, and then you're squirming and squirming and squirming and squirming and squirming till you say, I'm sorry. <laughs> squirming and squirming. Right? And the Holy Spirit says, okay, you're becoming. You see, when the Holy Spirit is inside you, you're faced with choices in your life. And you know how many choices you have every day? Over 100 choices. And every time you listen to the Holy Spirit about your choices, your character changes. How does your character grow? By the choices you make. Huh? By the choices you make. And the choices are prompted by the Holy Spirit. And I tell you one thing. You make the wrong choice, the screwdriver comes in. The screwdriver comes in. And every day you spend time in your quiet time, you'll get a screwdriver touching you here, touching you there. And, oh, man. You say, okay. Next time when you're faced with a choice, you make the right choice. We are all faced with choices every day. Every day. Whether you want to be, it's your party or his party. You understand? You'll make a choice. Sometimes you think it's your party. Screwdriver. Not your party, it's his party. Right? His party. And so, anyway, you would know that because you're not experts in all these things. But the second blessing that the Lord gives us is concerning our character, God raised us up and seated us in the heavenly places with Jesus Christ. Right? That's in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. Now, you know, in Ephesians chapter 1, 17 to 21, you know what Jesus, what God did? He raised up Jesus from the dead. And you have seen these rockets go up you know, with satellites, how they go, it goes up. And our Lord Jesus rose from the dead and he went up. He went up, he went up, he went up. But you know, all the devils, all the demons were trying to bring him down because he rose from the dead and they are the prince, the kings of death. You understand? And he broke through. And he went up. And they tried to claw him and bring him down. No, 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 stay down. Stay. Couldn't, 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 couldn't. He went up and he said, and you know what? We, in our spirit, is united with him in the heavenly places. And the devils can try their best to bring it up. Can't, can't, can't. You'll see, you know, these two things are a challenge to me. To say, God, 
I want to be like Jesus. Right? I want to overcome. I want to make those choices. You see, when you, when you, you know, there was a story about Victoria before she was queen. She was a young girl. It's a true story. And like all 14 years old girls, they giggle like anything. You know that. I hate to preach to 14 years old girls. They can giggle and you don't know what they're giggling about, you know. <laughs> well, she was just like a young girl, you know, giggling and you know, gossiping and this and that. And nobody wanted to tell her that one day she's going to be queen because they wanted her to have her youth. But one day, her governess said, you know, Victoria, you're going to be on that throne of England. And her eyes opened. What? And you know, from that day, true story. You know what she said? Then I'll be good. It's a true story. You see, your position defines your character. You know, when you know that you're seated in the heavenly places with Jesus, when you understand that, your character, oh man, good man. Oh, I can't make that choice. Oh, oh, I can't make that choice. You get me? Right. So the awareness of the Spirit of God and your position your awareness of the Holy Spirit in you and your position in Him will refine your character. In 1 John 4, 17, he says, in this world, we are like Jesus. Right. Even if your ministry is zero, after working hard and hard and hard, never give up because God is refining your character. He did it for me. I mean, I, I slogged and slogged, and nothing that was there. But God was changing me from a nutcase. He changed my heart. He changed my life. And so never give up in your life. You can serve the Lord till kingdom come. Yeah? Because you see, what he's doing is he's increasing your capacity to function. So first, it's your calling when you have an encounter. Then he's refining your character because of the Holy Spirit and your position in him. And the third thing in this, he is increasing your capacity to function so that you will do the impossible in life. You understand? So, now, when we are born again, God made us royal priesthood. That's given in 1 Peter 2 9. Right? You are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Right? So, what's the royal priesthood? Royal priesthood means you're king and priest, kings and priest. Oh, that's good. We are kings and priests. That's a calling. That's a calling which you and I have. Wow. I like to be a king. But you see, Jesus is the king of kings because we are kings. He's the king of kings. And he is also the high priest. We are priests, but he's the high priest. 
Okay? So he tells us the model. All right? Because the world tells us that a king lives with power and prestige over others. But that's the way of the world. That's the way of the kingdom. Jesus tells us what the model of a king in the kingdom of God must be. He tells us that very clearly. And not only does he tell us that, he actually came down and modeled it. He actually modeled it. In Mark chapter 10, verse 42 to 45, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that's the king of kings talking to a king like you and me, or queen. Right? He says, that's the model. And he is also, and let us, and, and he is also the high priest. And the high priest means he lives to make intercession for us. And he says, that's our life. We are called to be kings and priests. Kings to serve. And he says, you will rule by serving. I tell you, that's the way I know. That's the way I modeled it. There's a lot to say about that. I'm not going into it, but that's the basics. And he's called us to be a people of intercession, to pray. And so he modeled it himself in Luke chapter 22, 31 to 32. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you. Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. He says, I want you to be a priest, Simon, just like I am a priest. And I prayed for you. Take the example of Paul. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2, he says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promise you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Now, he was a king, but his, his role as a king was to lift others up. And he says, I want to lift you up, man. That's why I am called. I want to lift you up and present you to Christ. And in Colossians 4.12, you look at a priest known as Epaphras. Of course, he was an ordinary guy, but he was, he was doing the function of a priest. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in the will of God and fully assured. So, that's our calling, right? And Jesus says, you know, when you fulfill that call, I'll tell you what, you're going to do the impossible. Uh, you know, brothers and sisters, I'm not joking. God has put me into all impossible situations, and I've seen the power of God move in impossible situations. Right? I've seen it.
Now I'm going to summarize all that thing. And I'm going to bring you about Joseph. In Genesis 41, 15 to 16, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it is said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph said, I cannot do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. He said, look, I can't do it. Let me tell you right in the beginning, that's impossible. I can't do it. You, you are talking about the impossible things. I, I can shave you if you want me. I can give you a haircut. <laughs> but that, what you're asking me, it's impossible. You understand? It's impossible. I can't do it. But God. So my brothers, sisters, I'm asking you. You must have the but God factor in your life. You understand? If you are put into impossible situations, don't run away from it. Today, you make up your mind that whatever impossible situation is, you're not going to run away from it. Because you say, God, but God can do it. I'm going to be a but God person. I'm going to embrace the but God factor because God is calling us for the impossible. Now don't run away from it. Covenant with yourself. He says, God, listen, I don't care what happens. But I want to walk in the impossible. You know, the Holy Spirit is in you so that you walk in the impossible. The spirit of the resur resurrected Christ is in you to walk in the impossible. He is more than enough to meet the impossible. Amen? He is more than enough to meet the impossible. You saw last time, I, I, I showed you the, 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 uh, uh, the video on Nick Wojcic, the guy who without arms, without legs, impossible. And God is using him, impossible, because he had the but God factor in his life. With me, it is not possible. I can't do it. But God. What? But God. Have that but God factor in every place of your life. But God can do it. Amen? Let us close.